Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Into the Frogcast podcast. This week we have another guest, so please guest, tell us who you are and who you main. Well first off, thank you for having me here. I do appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun doing this podcast and stuff. Hopefully you guys are ready for it. Either way, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to all those around the world. My name is Pause and I main Spirit and Dead by Daylight in which I also have a YouTube channel that strictly focuses around Spirit and DVD. So we've talked about this killer before and back in 2018, I picked her up pretty early on but for me i was struggling with tracking and stuff like that so i kind of like put her down and she was quite strong back then so what made you pick up this killer so originally i mained bubba and doctor i did play other killers such as pig and plague because i was very much a fan of jigsaw at the time but i also jumped around before i settled down with the main spirit was one of those killers who was and is still very challenging to play. She was different than all the rest of the killers. Also, at the same time, if I wanted to make Dead by Daylight content in the future, or at some point, I wanted to be one of, if not the best spirit killer out there. We have many different killer mains, right? Be it for specific killers or playing different ones in general. That being said, keep in mind how much spirit content is out there. I'm one of the very few that do spirit stuff be it she's very hard to play or people just don't want to learn her or don't like spirit. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen into what I got to say. So thanks for coming along and agreeing to this interview with us, Paul. It's great to have you here. So let's start with your build. There's many kinds of builds out there from the most efficient builds, your fun builds, builds people like to run on a regular basis. So let's talk about your build. What works for you and why do you run it? So I run many different builds on spirit, right? I don't have a main build for this killer, sorry guys, but I like to use numerous perks and put builds together that work very well. Playing with these perks on Spirit is just a bonus. Her power is very, very good and considered to be one of the best in the game. I do use staple perks in which I can't seem to put down, such as like Devour Hope or Sloppy Butcher. Those are probably two of my favorite perks in the game right now, but I can't find myself to be tied down to just one build. I play different builds, let alone different styles of play be it hit and run or gen control. There are currently 100 killer perks in the game in which 30 come from licensed killers, which people have to pay money for. There are a lot of new and old players that might not have any of these yet. So let's focus on the 70 perks that are available to everybody. Do you have any builds that you can share that are worth running? My YouTube channel has tons of spirit content from old spirit to the way she is now. And I still recommend the same perks I, as I would today, as back then, Surge and Sloppy Butcher. Surge has been changed to what is now known as Jolt. So those of you who have been around for a long time may remember the change. Although now Jolt is considered to be one of, if not the best slowdown perk in the entire game for most killers. More importantly, killers who are very, very good at ending chases or playing a hit and run playstyle, you know, like Wraith, like Spirit. Jolt gives you tons of slowdown just by downing a survivor. Whereas Sloppy Butcher makes healing very difficult for survivors and interrupting that heal by any means will make that survivor have to start all over again, which in itself is another form of what? Slowdown. Also, if they can't heal, that means it's easy downs for Jolt. So that means you're constantly applying pressure due to them being injured. Then when it comes to builds that involve these two perks, Nurse's Calling for starters goes hand in hand with Sloppy Butcher, be it healing and slow down, Nurse's Calling allows you to find survivors 
and you can interrupt their heals, which also applies jolt to the generators in that area if you can down them again. There are occasions where even those who have the most play to win kind of mentalities want to have a game with a less than optimal build, whether it be to give themselves an intentional disadvantage or to have some fun with the survivors with a gimmicky meme build. Could you share with us any such meme or gimmicky builds that you'd like to use for fun? To be fair, I'm not one to play a lot of meme or gimmicky style builds. You know, I'm here to give my watchers and or listeners the best spirit content that I can. You know, against meme builds, I'm not biased against them. I'm not against them, but I do know what it's like to play something off meta. And be it, it can work out, or you can lose all gens and have survivors be toxic in the end gates, you know, by teabagging and flashlight spamming you in the face. That's not fun. Nobody likes that. But I have played a few in the past myself. Back during the old spirit ways, Insidious was quite fun to play and mind game survivors at pallets, at windows, doorways, all that sort of thing. Even now, it can still be used in other forms, such as, you know, No Ed, No Way Out, Blood Warden, and such, that make some very, very fun games. On top of that, another build idea could be Insidious, Fearmonger, Dragon's Grip, and Corrupt Intervention. Just be prepared to take some losses if you're up against very, very good Swifts or Survivor teams. So when picking a build, one of the most important things to people are add-ons. It can change the game entirely, whether it's to get someone exposed quicker, makes you quicker, reduces cooldown on your power, or just to slow the game down. So of all the add-ons available to you, what would you run? What would you recommend? And what would you avoid? So I run yellow add-ons myself, almost all the time, actually. But in which we do take the cap and the ribbon and the talisman mostly. I like to show that Spirit doesn't need to use purple add-ons or the best-in-slot add-ons, i.e. mother-daughter ring or back-in-the-day father's glasses, to win the game. Therefore, it makes for better content and it will improve your style of play and your game performance with Spirit. And instead of having to rely on the most broken add-ons in the game, i.e. mother-daughter ring, to get the win. With that being said, I don't recommend Mother-Daughter Ring or her purple add-on, Cherry Blossom. Considering you lose scratch marks using both these add-ons, they give you some nice bonuses, but at the same time, when you're relying on these add-ons to win a game, which most consider the most overpowered add-ons, be it in Dead by Daylight right now, I feel if you can't win the game right now without using these add-ons, you actually call yourself a good spirit player. On top of that, Spirit is already difficult to track with. So when you're sitting here learning to play Spirit for the first time, or the first handful of games, Mother Daughter Ring is not the add-on in which you slap on, thinking that you're going to be overpowered and just win every game. That's not how it works. You have to understand her base kit, what her browns and yellow add-ons do, before you can sit here and use her purples and iridescence and get better with the killer overall. So when you're going into a match, you have to assess your strategy based on the perks, the add-ons that, that you have, the map that you load into and the survivors that you're likely to face because let's face it a lot of um survivors do play a bit differently some are more knowledgeable on tiles better in chases know how to loop and others are just flat out w gamers so do you change your play style based on how the survivors play or do you just um play to some kind of one trick routine or strategy that you know works for you you know i'm not a fan of using regular builds on the daily for instance, I don't always use the exact same build every single game, right? Especially as Spirit. Because Spirit is one of those killers in which she shines with pretty much anything that you slap on her. As long as the build makes sense, the perks are actually pretty solid, 
she can do just fine as long as you can do good with your tracking, your awareness, you know, listening to the sounds and all that sort of thing. She does take a lot of different handicaps that other killers do not have. But on top of that, there are maps in which she doesn't like, I don't like, such as, you know, the Asylum, Haddonfield, Midwich, uh, the one with the classroom. Oh, I forgot what that one's called. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I absolutely hate those maps. But I love maps such as Cornfield, Otto Haven, and Ormond, even though Ormond is also one of the most difficult maps to play because it's very survivor-based. There's a lot of jungle gyms, a lot of just holding forward, holding W, getting distance on the killer, and being able to just, you know, move forward without you being able to catch up to them. But my style of play does change according to the map in the gen layout. Be it, if we go to the Crows map, the gen is normally in the main building, which is usually away from a good, you know, three gen lock, right? Oftentimes, you may find yourself in the swamp where gens are spread out quite well. Or you can play an Ormond where, again, most survivors can just hold W and get distance. Yet, you can lock down main building area and get one or two gens around it. It all depends on what map you actually go to before your strategy can actually you know, adapt to change. And 9 out of 10, you hop into a map a survivor might actually play an offering to take you to one of the more survivor-based maps. And there's not really much else you can do about it in that situation unless you can get a lockdown on a generator, catch a couple survivors slipping, and or possibly just snowballing your games. So getting the right perks and add-ons are very important, but getting the strategy right is equally as important as it's how the game is played. So I want to talk more about your strategy. When loading into a trial, what are your preferred maps? What strategy do you adopt based on the perks and add-ons that you use on a regular basis? I try to use different strategies in every game that I play. So I like to say I adapt or it changes on the fly. But at the same time, we may find ourselves playing against a survivor who actually knows how to loot. Let me ask you a question, though. Are we going to actually waste time chasing him or her while gens go by? The correct answer is probably not, right? They may get you into an optimal moment or situation in which you are not prepared for. Taking you to areas with only one gen on that side of the map might not be worth it unless you can get the down. Even if you do get that down, though, how many gens are popped since then? They take you to shack or maybe under the cow tree with no gens next to it. These are things you have to consider. Although, be me, I would probably still give that survivor a bit of a chase. Most survivors are still a bit cocky. They flashlight spam you, they teabag to get your attention sometimes. And then when you down them, even a single time, they complain that they're no longer having fun because you left them slugged on the ground in response to their actions, right? My style of play depends on my build a lot of the time too, though. If I'm running a gen control build, slugging is definitely part of my play. Unless I'm running perks, you know, like scourge hooks or that require pickups. If I'm playing a bit more of a hit and run play style, like save the best for last, you know, sloppy butcher, jolt, etc. Most of the time, I am going right after survivors versus kicking generators. I try to use slugging as another form of slowdown, and which that's what it is, though, right? Slugging is another form of slowdown, which survivors hate, but killers use it so well, it wins them games. And it is what it is on that note. Taking gen control with slugging is definitely hard to play against versus any killer. We're playing something like Devour Hope, which I do often. It's one of my favorite perks in the game. It's like a mini game inside of a mini game. Yet Devour wants you to make sure you get your hooks to snowball while patrolling your totems in the meantime. With that being said, if you're actually playing with Devour, it gives you another form of strategy, right? In which that survivor is probably not ready for it. 
therefore, you, they are in an optimal situation for you to get a benefit from. There's a lot of different build options that you can just change and or come into a game with where survivors may not be ready for. You don't know what you're playing up against when you're playing against this four swift or the stack or what have you. And they should also expect the same thing from you. But either way, I like to say you also want to try being unpredictable when you're playing spirit, be it she has a very, very good power. She can go ahead and mind game at loops, at pallets, at windows, all this sort of thing. And most of the time, survivors don't even know how to handle that. So I like to say that you should always be changing your playstyle on the fly instead of taking one playstyle or being one sort of one trick and doing it every single game. Because eventually, it's not going to work out versus better teams, if that makes sense. Totems have always been a big part of how people play, and it can change the game entirely by either hindering or helping both sides. So last year, they released Boon Totems, and these alone became a powerful tool for survivors. As a killer, you're either forced to leave them alone and face consequences, or snuff them to find only 20 seconds later that they're back up again. So let's talk about totems, and more specifically, totem spawns. Do you think they're in a good place, or do you think more changes are needed? I mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess they I guess they are in a good spot, but at the same time, totem can be 50-50 most of the time, right? When a totem is popped, as soon as the game starts, it feels really, really bad. But at the same time, that's why we have Undying Hex, which can be played to prevent a build from crumbling right away. On top of that, if you are playing a totem build, your style of play should change to adapt to that. That includes patrolling your totems, make sure survivors aren't working on them, those who you do catch working on your totems, get them out of the game as soon as possible. I don't care if that means you tunnel on them, you slug them down, you hook them multiple times, which forces other survivors to take hits for them or get in the way or stop you from doing it, you are still creating pressure. You're saving your totems by bringing out other survivors that are preventing you from getting their survivor out of the game. There's a lot of things, a lot of ins and outs to totem builds that you also got to realize it's not just generators or it's not just protect your totems. You're forcing another survivor to pay more attention to you or to help their teammate from getting out of the game. But at the end of the day, we have these things called boon totems, right? Which they heal. That's a plus and a negative, right? Sloppy Butcher, for example. You know that that survivor is going to run to that totem. Nine out of ten. Or have another survivor heal them. So it's like a 50-50. More than likely that they go to that totem. What you know is there if you've already passed by it or you haven't snuffed it out yet. You just left it alone. You know they're going to go to that totem to heal. So you go to that totem and then you get a free down. Other than that, though, I think sometimes the totems are in a very, very much obvious place, I guess you could say, a little too obvious, and it's something that you just have to deal with. Otherwise, I feel like if they change it to be more killer-friendly, it would just upset the other player base, be it the survivors. I think a lot of the time as well, um, certain maps will have um, very certain totem spawn locations or possible spawn spots on them as well, and an experienced survivor knows where most totems will spawn to, and they will just go and check from spot to spot. If they if they know a hex is up, they'll just go from spot to spot to spot to spot, and eventually they'll find it, usually within about 30, 40 seconds as well. I think the totems should definitely be hidden. I don't think they should be in an obvious spot, such as most hills, because if that totem is on that hill, 9 out of 10, a hook is probably there too. So if you hook a survivor on that hill, what's going to happen? They're going to get the totem. Even by running around that hill, there's probably a chest there that a survivor can open up and they'll probably see the totem there too. 
I mean, I think they can do a lot better at putting totems in less obvious spaces, but the maps are big enough for them to do that. Why haven't they done that already? It just doesn't make any sense. So for me, it seems like if you're running a totem build, you need to be mindful of where your totems are at at all times and what survivors are doing, which can be a little bit more difficult, but it's normally they're either working on your totems or gen. So having played with the Spirit a lot, you must have had some great matches, whether it's been against high-profile players or competitive teams, um, content creators, or just insane downs or extraordinary clutch moments. Do you think you can share any of these with us? Oh yeah, of course. There's always those moments where you get into a game where you have three survivors you know, on death hook, and the one survivor is getting ready to basically snowball the game, where she gets an unhook, they run away, they get the other survivors, and then your heart's racing as you're trying to chase them all down, and they're body blocking each other. They got their borrowed time and stuff. Nothing is better than those moments. At the same time, it's very infuriating when it happens, but slugging out whole lobbies is pretty hilarious too because you do get some very, very salty survivors in the comments, in the comments down there at the end of the game. Or possibly, like I said before, I used to play a lot of pig, so Jigsaw does play a role in that situation too, whereas... Getting hat traps on pretty much every survivor in the game and popping the exact same time is very, very fun. It makes for some very good games. And on top of that, we're sitting here. We've played a couple games with the Arctic Wolves against the Arctic Wolves. Not necessarily in a scrimmage, but just queuing up against some of their members. That was a very, very challenging, very fun game. If you don't know who they are, they are a competitive team, and which are very good. And then we have our, how you say, our scrims, where you sit down, you play with your friends, your buddies, your other content creators, you guys just play games together. Those are some of the best times I've had so far in Dead by Daylight. So with the amount of time that you've been playing the Spirit, you must have some great advice that you can share with us. So what advice would you give to new players or even your past self? I would say keep playing Spirit. She's one of the hardest killers to play, up there with Nurse and Blight. All three of them are very difficult, right? But you won't get better with Spirit by playing Bubba or Pick. You need to take those losses on the chin when they happen and focus on your tracking, listening to footsteps and sounds that injured survivors make. It helps a whole lot with being able to end a chase. Spirit is very rewarding, yet she's very time-consuming. And I hope once you get better with her, you don't put her down. No other killer in the game right now will make you as happy to play as Spirit. That's why you're listening to this, right? Let's be honest. You're not here for any other content but Spirit. Let's be fair. Once you're a spirit main, no one else comes close, though. I'll tell you that much. So I want to talk a little bit about tiles and more specifically your favorite tile, whether it be the jungle gym, the LT walls, the long walls, or the killer shack. Uh, we want to know what your favorite tile is and why. And on that same note, what is a tile that you just absolutely hate being dragged toward as well? I think I would say shack. Like, I do actually hate being taken to the shack. Not because we can't outplay it. It's more so that shack is the safest spot in the game. By wasting time at Shaq, you can lose the whole match, or at least one or two gens, because they go by quite quickly, right? And at the same time, that survivor is probably going to either be flashlights spamming you or teabagging, urging you to chase them. Which, also, you can avoid that chase by dropping the chase and going somewhere else. We just got to keep in mind, most of the time at Shaq, there's either no gen inside, or there's one gen. If there's one gen there, just let them have it, man. It's not worth it, because they do have that god palette. You can go ahead and patrol better gens in another area of the map which you might be able to just lock down with the three gen lock and get more value out of it instead of taking that chase to shack which you can avoid but when it comes to going to windows or long walls of spirit that's much easier to do 
once you get the hang of it, that is. And on top of that, we have an amazing power to help us mind game if need be. Or we can force pallets at these walls, which we can now break and make this loop a dead zone with our power. And what I mean is, just because that survivor who you chased there dropped that pallet, the other three survivors who haven't been to that tile yet might not know there's not a pallet there. And you can also use your power to get that M1 or that down if they were already injured. Now, sometimes you will also come across survivors who drop pallets in your face and stand on the other side and stare at you and try to flashlight you. All you have to do is make sure as soon as that pallet drops down, you're automatically looking up or down. Make sure you're not looking directly at them with that flashlight. Just automatically assume it's going to happen, even if they don't have one. It gives you in good practice, good rhythm. But at the same time, once they drop that pallet, you force them into a 50-50. This is where you can take the time to mind game them, making them think you phased to get that down. Generator speeds have always been an issue for killers. And in recent times, they've gotten a lot better with perks and changes to the time it takes for a generator to complete. But with that being said, it's hard for the devs to balance out the game based on some killers being stronger than others. But what are your thoughts? I don't necessarily think that there are overpowered killers. Of course, we have Spirit and Nurse and Blight, often thought to be the most broken or unbalanced killers in the game. But they all require skill to play. You know, then you have Pinhead and Pig and Witch. They have a different skill cap. Pinhead is much harder to play than Pig. But at the same time, Spirit, Nurse, and Blight would be S-tier, for instance, versus Pig as well, right? They're not necessarily overpowered. They just have a better base kit than certain other killers in the game. A little bit of a power curve, I guess you would say, or power creep for a lot of people. But at the same time, gens do not. You can slap on a few gen progress perks and just do gens all game. I don't understand why it's hard for the developers to balance gen speed based on some killers are stronger than others. That doesn't make any sense to me because at the end of the day, as a survivor, for instance, they don't have to be good at playing killer. They don't have to be good at looping. All they have to do is slap on a couple gen progress perks and do gens all game because gens is what wins the game. Most of the time, though, for the, in the killer's aspect, we can just chase survivors, which is fine if we can get the downs. Because if we get the downs, we slow down the game and we can possibly come back or win it, right? But you also come across survivors who are very, very good at playing versus your killer. And or playing at shack, playing at jungle gyms, playing at long walls, holding W, just getting distance. I'm talking about Ormond, for instance. They look to waste your time. So there are certain occasions where you need to drop chase if it's not working out. Otherwise, there are gens that are going to pass by, and you're going to be very confused while that happened. But most of the time, when you get yourself in these situations, it's you choosing to put yourself in that situation, not by accident, right? We also have the option of bringing gen slowdown perks. If gens are going by too fast in your games, you can bring a couple of gen slowdown perks. Maybe that'll change it for you. Bring that dead men's. Bring scourge hooks. All this sort of thing can change a game in your favor. You know, ask yourself what you are doing wrong. Are you chasing into bad areas? Are you playing against Shaq? Are you going to spots in which there's only one generator? I.e., are you going to Shaq when Shaq has one gen or no gens? Are you on the other side of the map where you can't patrol as easily? So what I mean by that is sometimes you'll get to a situation where there's one gen on your left side, there's one gen on your right. So you're going back and forth between these two gens versus going to the other side of the map where there's three gens or four gens that you can just patrol back and forth. 
you want to leave the other two gens that are on the other side of the map alone. Let them have them. Who cares? Lock down the other ones. But sometimes, depending on the map that you go into, like, for example, Red Forest, sometimes you're going to need gen slowdown perks because it's so big. And certain killers have better map mobility than others. Like, for example, Spirit's got a quite a decent map mobility, whereas the likes of Trapper hasn't. You could argue that point. But at the same time, when you play Spirit and you get yourself into a giant map like the Red Forest or um, the Crow map, I always forget the name of that one, but those maps, basically it's like a Scooby-Doo movie. Like You go outside of a door and you're still going down long hallways, back and forth, back and forth, chasing these survivors, in which you can't do so when your power is on cooldown because it doesn't cover the whole map. Sometimes you have to get yourself in a better situation and or bring gen slowdown perks on the regular to stop you from losing out on these generators. Because you don't know what map you're going to unless you bring an offering. Not out of time. MMR is something that Behaviour have put in to help make matches more fair for everyone with each individual skill level, trying to be as close to each other as possible. There have been many different opinions on this matter, ranging from it shouldn't have been implemented in the first place to it's been a good change to my matches as I'm not getting as many cracked survivors juicing me for five gens and even some in-between reactions thinking it was a good intention, just a rather primitive way of uh, measuring MMR just with kills versus escapes depending on what side you're on. So tell us from your own experience, your thoughts on MMR and how it's affected your games with the spirit. This is a very touchy su subject, I would say, right? But I think MMR in itself, it's done poorly in Dead by Daylight. It's done great in other games when you can win, your rank goes up, and DVD doesn't feel like that at all. There's a hidden factor which you cannot see, right? For those of you out there who don't know what MMR is, it's matchmaking rating. It's a hidden mechanic in Dead by Daylight that makes little sense to those of you who are familiar with other games that have a ranking system, which is easy to understand. Dead by Daylight is not. They judge you on almost every action, hooking survivors, doing gens, how many people did you get on death hook? Did you get out? Did you escape? Did you find hatch? All this sort of thing. It almost feels unfair at times on behalf of your playing with four other people who may or may not know how to loot, who may or may not do generators who might just look around for chests. With that said, I feel it can be better. Much better. But scrapping the whole idea of MMR and starting from scratch might be the best option. I don't know, personally, how they want to do the ranking system for an isometric game. If that's the case, do it killer versus killer style. Win rate for spirit versus other spirits, etc. Or in Survivor's case, you guys have it worse, in my opinion, for MMR. On behalf, you have so many different variables. How many gens you completed, or how many totems you cleansed, how many unhooks you got. The whole idea of it, I think many people cared about it truly in the beginning, right? Because it was a cool concept. Oh, we get MMR ranks, we're going to get harder games, we get funner, funner games. You know, then there are those who don't care about it at all. Because it's confusing, or it doesn't make sense, or it's not something that they're interested in. Because everybody is forced now into an MMR system, whether it's ranked or unranked. If you want to put MMR into Dead by Daylight also, you could also just do it for ranked and then have a unranked mode. So for those of you out there who are just trying to understand the game or get better at Dead by Daylight, it allows you to play unranked without having an MMR-based match system. So you're playing against other newer players. I don't know what they're going to do, man. All I know is I'm hearing all sorts of different promises, all these different playtestings, and then here you go. 
So going against the very killer you main can be quite the experience. Being a main for that killer, you've got a better insight than most about what they can and can't do, the add-ons they might be using, and knowing their limits. When you're playing Survivor, do you enjoy going against the spirit? When I do play Survivor, which is very rare, mind you, but when I do, yes, spirit is definitely the best killer for me to play against. It is where I have the most fun, it is where I learn the most, because I don't care about how I play versus a Bubba how I play versus pig or, you know, pinhead or that sort of thing, because I don't play those killers on a regular basis. I play spirit because I am a spirit main. And this is what we're here listening to for spirit content, for instance. But when I'm playing against spirit, I can learn new things. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but at the same time, I try to put myself in the survivor's shoes. So for instance, being a spirit main, I can judge other spirit players, how they play spirit. And I know you guys do that too. And I know you guys know what I mean when I say that. It's like how often they phase, what they do in their matches, who they're playing against, what survivors are chasing, how they play against this long wall versus this shack. It gives me better insight to how a survivor might act versus my spirit. It gives me better insight into my games as well because I'm often thinking about what I would do versus a spirit in certain situations. So DVD has gone through many changes from balancing to perk changes to complete readjustment of some of the killers. And so this begs the question, what do you think to the current state of DVD? Do you think they're heading in the right direction? Or do you have any advice that might make the game any better? I think Dead by Daylight is going in a very, very good direction. But at the same time, I want it to go in a broader direction, meaning we just got a new Dead by Daylight game. It's kind of like a dating a dating sim, right? I'm sure you guys have seen it on YouTube or played it yourself. But at the same time, there's other games out here, such as like Dragon Ball Z, in which has tried to replicate Dead by Daylight's you know, gameplay by making a game and of its own to copy Dead by Daylight. We've had VHS pop up every now and then. We have other indie games that come out trying to take Dead by Daylight's success. I think Dead by Daylight is on a pedestal when it comes to this genre in which no other game can touch it right now. They're trying, but no one has come close. So they have very, very much, how you say, like open space to what they can do. So why not branch out, try other things that they haven't tried before? It's not going to hurt the product, to be fair, because you can always just remove it, right? If it doesn't work, you can just get rid of it, scrap it, try again. So why not just do more of that? Like I said, we just got a dating dating sim. So why not reach out, get more licenses, try to push out more killers, get more things, be it community events for Dead by Daylight, you know, push merchandise, all this sort of thing in which to make this game bigger. We can do that, right? But I'm not sure. I'm not a game developer, guys. These are just some ideas. I'm sure we can spitball this back and forth all day. Let's be honest. I'm not sure if you played the spirit back in the day, but from what I know in 2018, when I used to play her, she was pretty overpowered and kind of easy to use. Yes, I did struggle with tracking. But how do you find Spirit now compared to back in the day? You know, I hear that all the time, that Spirit is easy to play. She's like the easiest killer to get 4Ks with. She always wins every game. She's OP. I hear this all the time. But those people that actually do say that, I think they're just being salty survivors, to be fair. Or at the end of the day, they haven't really played Spirit for a long time. Truly the hardest killers in the game right now, in my opinion, to play are going to be Blight, Spirit, and Pinhead. These killers require an immense amount of skill to play and technique to get used to and game sense to get better with. Other than that, 
you can possibly mention Nurse. And I think everyone probably would say that too. But besides that, everyone else is kind of pick up and play, right? Let's be honest. Until you get used to playing with Bubba's chainsaw around pallets and walls and windows and all that sort of thing, it becomes easier to play, right? Once you get used to Nurse's blinks, she pretty much counters everything else, right? You can go through walls and pallets and all that sort of thing and hit survivors. Back in the day, she had three blinks and then survivors complained a lot and she got nerfed to what she is now. Now, survivors are complaining or have complained a lot about Spirit. Back in the day, Spirit was so much better than what she is now. We had really good add-ons back then. We had the ability to phase on top of you and you wouldn't know we were there because we did not make an audible, loud, obnoxious noise for no reason. And then if you dropped a pallet in front of us, you couldn't tell if we were phasing. Your instinct was to automatically flashlight us and hope that you got us because if not, we were already on top of you. Now you can hear when we're next to you. You can see the animations the spirit makes. Back then, you really didn't have that. You were always playing that 50-50. You were always playing that mind game. Now they made it where survivors have a much better chance to win versus spirit. And then also, they give you guys what? Iron will and off the record. It's like giving you guys training wheels to counter a killer in which requires sound, grass movement, footsteps to actually win and succeed at chases. It's like, imagine if I gave Blight the ability to hit you without having to bounce off anything. And he got to keep his insane mobility. People would probably argue that he's overpowered and then what would happen? He'd get changed and or nerfed. But yet here we are, letting survivors have Iron Will and off the record and be completely silent versus Spirit. Now you could say that, well, a better Spirit player, well, you know, wouldn't matter about Iron Will and off the record. This is also true. But at the same time, it's like putting more hours into something, right? Versus playing something else and just getting better results. So at the end of the day, they did nerf Iron Will from 100% to 75. So you can't just sit here and stack Iron Will and just be, think that you're K. So off the record only works once you get off that hook, right? At the end of the day. So you do have these survivor nerfs to these perks that were very, very much shutting down Spirit back in the day of now spirit had a slight rework back on the 19th of october of last year in 2021 where amongst some add-on changes survivors can now hear like that directional audio cue like a it's like a whooshing sound that gets louder with closer proximity uh, it was pretty much to help survivors have some kind of counterplay to the 50 50 games of is spirit just standing still at the pallet or any other part of this loop so I'd like to know, do you still try this um, this whole faking your face thing from time to time? And do people still fall for it? Do you also see other spirit players trying it also? <laughs> yes, all the time, actually. You will find more often than not, you get the mind game survivors from time to time. Probably almost every game. I still think a lot of the Dead by Daylight player base, survivor-wise, don't know how to play versus a good spirit. Not that that's a bad thing. But more so, she's still hard to read unless you're paying very good attention to her phasing or whether or not she's faking it. Oftentimes, I'm mind game survivors, not intentionally, to be fair, just waiting for them, you know, at the pallet when my power is on cooldown because most survivors just think, oh, spirit's phasing. She's going to get me or she's just standing there. So I'll stand here, too. And when, then when that happens, they stand there not knowing your cooldown or your power. And as soon as your power is off cooldown, you just get them anyway to be honest. And it's the best thing because most of the time survivors don't pay any attention to what's going on other than she's on that side of the wall. I'm on this side of the wall. I'm safe. So when you're phasing, you don't always have the ability to see scratch marks unless you're using an add-on to help you with this. 
So this is where you have to rely on sounds. Not everybody hears sounds the same. Do you need a decent set of headphones? Or is there anything you can do software-wise to make things easier for you to hear the survivors? What I'm going to tell you, you probably aren't going to believe me, but I did just recently put a post a video on YouTube, you know, on the channel for spirit content that you guys can go back and watch if you want to. So I played Dead by Daylight on 10% volume at all times. You don't have to. It doesn't make any sense to do that at face value in playing spirit. But I've learned that lowering your senses also heightens them, meaning you're more focused in on what's around you and spirit needs sound above all else, right? Also, yes, a good headset does help. In fact, I do use a Razer Kraken that has, you know, spatial audio and all that sort of thing, which is amazing. But besides that, you can also tack on Strider for those of you who are still trying to learn Spirit or get better with Spirit's noise notifications or how to chase a survivor down and all that sort of thing. Strider does help you in that situation. In fact, it gets you used to the sounds that you need to look, look out for, such as footsteps, breathing, injured survivors, all sound different, by the way, in case you guys don't know. Ace sounds very different from Claudette, right? But Strider will get you used to these noises. Eventually, once you understand each survivor makes different sounds or what sounds to look out for by playing with Strider or having a better headset, you can actually take off Strider because you no longer would need it anymore. It's like training wheels. Mobility is important, is important for a killer to be able to travel around and patrol and defend the gens effectively and to be able to get into the next chase as soon as possible. Uh, the spirit has extra mobility in her power as she can move faster while she's phasing from point A to point B, and even quicker yet with the help of certain add-ons. That being said, if you're using her power every time it's off cooldown to traverse the map quicker, you'll find it on cooldown a lot of the time. Is there a best time to use it so it's on hand more often um, for when you really need it, or to be really quite liberal in its use and just use it whenever it's on hand? Alright, I think I'm kind of bad at this, to be fair, because I like using her power whenever I can use her power. I think a wasted cooldown is a bad cooldown. And I think a lot of people would agree with me and some people might disagree with that. But at the end of the day, Spear's power is used for mobility. It's used to get from point A to point B. Now, some maps can really hurt that. Like some cornfield maps, some auto haven maps. You're not going to be able to get from this side of the map to the other side of the map using your power. And when that happens, it goes on cooldown and you feel rather like, you feel a window of opportunity that you cannot catch a survivor because your power is on cooldown. That's not necessarily always your fault, but at the same time, if you know they're working on a gen on the far end of the map in which you can stop, or possibly that gen is in a good spot to have a lockdown of a three or a four gen, you need to get over there. And if you walk to that area and not phase and they pop that gen, that is entirely your fault because you could have stopped that by phasing to get over there and frightening the survivors off that generator. You might... You might have even hooked the survivor before that happened. And then you traverse to that gen, right? You spook them, and then dead man switch activates. There's a lot of things you gotta consider depending on what build you're running and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think you don't need to be as sparing with your power. Be liberal with it. Use it whenever you can. Because you also will get yourself into chases in which you might hard power to get that survivor, get that M1. But at the same time, let's say you chase them to a jungle gym or a wall or whatever, and they drop a pallet on you, right? And now they're sitting here staring at you on the other side of the pallet. You stare back. Just sit there. Just chill, bro. Because your power will come off cooldown, and that survivor is still going to sit there thinking that you've already faced, right? As long as you're standing still. Just just chill. 
And then when that power comes off cooldown, you phase, you get the M1 and or the hop over the pallet, and you stand there, you mind game that, you predict it, and you smack them anyway. The Spirit is still a fun killer to play, and in the past has received many changes. But ultimately, she's still a strong killer, especially if she's using Mother Daughter Rink. But if you could make any changes to Spirit, what would they be? To be fair, I think there's a lot of things in which I love about Spirit and or I would probably change or not change. Bring back her old add-ons, you know, prayer beads, father's glasses, or to be fair, just, just take away the Lola sound in which we have now. Like, stop letting survivors know, hey, I'm playing a stealth killer, guys, by the way. Oh, you know I'm next to you. Like, I don't understand that concept. I get it. They did it to make the survivor have a funner game or a better game or a more fair game. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like, what happens if you give Wraith, you know, his invisibility, you take it away as soon as he body blocks the survivor? Like, what's the point of giving him the visibility then at that point? Like, you can't sneak up on anybody. What if they bump you by accident? Then it just takes away. That's, that's not fair. So why are you making Spirit sound obnoxious when she's on top of you? Other than that, though, we can even trade Mother Daughter Ring for that. Any day, I'd take that. In fact, I think just remove that from the game. But overall, I still love Spirit. And I don't see myself maining any other killer in the game right now. If she was not in this game or disabled or taken out or deleted or whatever, I'd probably not play the game anymore. And that's it. We've reached the end of another interview. And I'd like to thank Pause for joining us this week. Thanks for um, spending time with us to, to be able to do this. Do you have anything that you'd like to shout out? Like a Twitch handle, YouTube, Twitter? Because they're all going to be put in the descriptions anyway. But hey, man. Thank you guys for having me here. Hopefully we can do this again at some point. I appreciate it. This has been Pause Plays. And I will catch you guys on the very next podcast I, I get to be part of. By the way, make sure you check out the YouTube channel and all that sort of thing. Because we will be pumping out Spirit content on the daily. Or every one to two days of Spirit. Catch you guys later. Stay safe out there. And that's it. You've reached the end of another great podcast. And it was really nice to speak to Pause about how he plays the Spirit. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, then why not give it a review on Apple Podcasts? And if you're on Spotify, then why not give us a rating? It would really help us out tremendously. We also have more interviews on the website, intothefogcast.com, or just search for Into the Fogcast on your favourite app. This episode was recorded on patch 6.4.2. I would like to thank Pause again for agreeing to do the interview, and myself and Tofa for everything else. All links will be in the description of the podcast and we hope you have a great day.